Well, praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be here tonight. I hope that you are having a wonderful week in Jesus' name. Those of you joining us online, those of us that are here, thank you for being here tonight. I'm going to start a series from now until the end of the year. Um, this is September, September, October, November, December. So I get four more Wednesdays. But Carl is next week, and uh, he teaches. Um, and so I get four more, and I'm going to be talking about who is Jesus. Going into 2024, I really feel the Lord dealing with me about talking about the name, the name of Jesus and the revelation of who he is. In this last hour, there's so much confusion, so many voices online, internet, TV, that um, are uh, trying to wear down the, the understanding of who Jesus really is, minimizing him as uh, a, a junior God or a God uh, that was uh, somehow uh, not up for the task so that he needed help. Um, so uh, we find that there is uh, uh, some studying that we need to do together. And so we're going to do that. We're going to start that tonight. And um, Jesus is God. How many believe that? Amen. And we know that uh, we need understanding of that. So over the next four first Wednesdays, I will be doing this study. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I'm going to uh, talk from the Old Testament perspective. I'm going to talk about from different perspectives of, of this through the Word of God. So let's begin. The central theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ. Amen? And that central theme is his death, burial, and resurrection. It is his birth. We find Christ in the Old Testament, Christology, if you want to refer it as that, in the Old Testament, the revelation of who he is through the Old Testament, the prophets, and all of that happened in the prophetic word of the Old Testament. And then we will talk about who he is in the New Testament. The Old Testament describes the creation and the preparation of the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. We know that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So we know that from the beginning of time, the Father had in mind a plan. We didn't go into this with something that he was just, God was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do if this fails. No, there was a plan. He knew the mind of God, and, and God knew that there would be a time for this declaration of the Lamb. So we look at this and we see that the Old Testament, it ushers in. Uh, there's a lot of confusion in our world about the Old Testament and its role in the modern day Christians, the New Testament Christians' life. But we look that this is a very important understanding. I want to say this, that if you don't understand Genesis, you will never understand the rest of the Word of God, ever. Genesis is so important to your understanding. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. We also find that the Old Testament describes the creation, but also the four Gospels in the New Testament are the eyewitnesses of this life, his birth, his death, his resurrection. So not only do we get the description from the Old Testament, the prophetic words from the Old Testament, we also receive uh, witnesses, eyewitnesses in the New Testament. So the entire New Testament is, uh, is describes and establishes 
the, the fact that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the head of the church. And we will uh, look at that even further. So the question is, who is Jesus? Um, he is um, the great I am. Amen. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's so much, and we will get into those great things. Um, he fulfills everything that Jehovah was. He is the Messiah. And we will look at all these things and find the truth of them. You know, um, I had breakfast with our youth pastor, Pastor Dan, this morning. And we were talking about what is truth. Truth is so elusive today because it's not founded in truth. Truth is something that is being moved about like pieces on a chessboard. Convenient to what I want it to be. Convenient to what I need it to be. And truth is something that we must establish. Truth is absolute. The absolute truth comes from the Word of God. There are eternal truths and there are earthly truths. Scientific truths. But they are all stemming from the truth that comes from the Word of God. The truth of who Jesus is comes from the Word of God. Matter of fact, He is the Word. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know that that truth is absolute. So we want to look at... Um, and I want you to be able to espouse or repeat and, and study for yourself who is Jesus. When you encounter someone on the path of life out at the grocery store and they, they want to talk about who Jesus is, there are many that will acknowledge Him. I have many wonderful Muslim friends who acknowledge Jesus, but they acknowledge Him as a good prophet, a good man. They don't acknowledge Him as God. And you can talk to uh, the Jewish person and they acknowledge him as a prophet, but they do not acknowledge him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, they do not acknowledge him as the Messiah. So who Jesus is, is very, very important. I mentioned those two other, Islam and Judaism, because they come from the same Abrahamic understanding of the Word of God. So uh, they are from that same tribe. The Christians, uh, we are Judeo-Christians. We come from Jewish sects or Jewish understanding. So in that moment, um, we have these different religions that were based or come from the Abrahamic understanding. So in this moment, uh, we need to know who Jesus really is and how we will worship Him. So... Um, Many people believe that Jesus is just a good man or a prophet. And we're going to dispel that through this study and talk to you about who he is and how he sits on the throne room of heaven. So history books confirm uh, that he exists. So let's approach this from just a, a fact orientation, a scientific orientation, if you will, that these are known facts in the earth, that we have history that confirms. There are historical writers we find Josephus of old. He was a, a writer uh, from the Roman perspective. He was a historian. And he wrote about this man who performed miracle signs and wonders whose name was Jesus. We find that Jesus was born. We know there are records that they have been established. There was a, a Christ that was born. But he is known as Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. We know that throughout history, um, he has claimed to be the Messiah. And not only claimed, but he is the Messiah. But we look and see that through history, we can 
can find through archaeological understandings and through historical understandings. We know that there was this man who walked uh, the shores of Galilee, who was the Messiah, who was Jesus, who had uh, disciples and healed the sick and raised the dead. We know that from a historical uh, perspective. We know the Romans uh, have record. We know historically, again, that the, the Romans executed this man, Jesus Christ. And we uh, can see through that. Rome was such a great power. It was such a uh, huge monstrosity of, of a world power. And they kept meticulous records. Um, some of the greatest records and historical uh, records that we have today about that ancient time comes through uh, the ruins that we have uh, excavated from the Roman, from anywhere from Algeria and Africa all the way to Italy, to Rome, to India, uh, um, uh, not India, but uh, um, England and, and the, 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 the different uh, places on the European continent. So we know that he was executed by the Romans. Um, we know that there were followers. Uh, that established a Christian religion, the religion that followed after Jesus Christ. We know this from the writings of the church, early church fathers. We know this from the writings of, of all different types of those fathers and people that were there um, that established this in separate writings from the Word of God. So we know that it was established uh, in, in this time frame. So who is Jesus? We can find that there were eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses to this Christ that wrote about it in the Word of God, in letters that were accumulated throughout the region. And then it was put in a canon and uh, tested and tried to be sure that it was actually the letters from these men and it was part of the Bible, the Word of God. So Peter, the Peter, yes, that's right, Peter the Apostle, the Peter that denied him, thrice, um, he heard all the teachings. He wrote in his letter. He is constantly referred to. We know that Peter historically and factually was someone that lived and died during the time period. History records this apostle Peter. If you were to visit Rome today, there is a, uh, a monument to Peter. In fact, it's a, a cathedral, <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. Um, and it has an eternal door where supposedly St. Peter is coming one day to, to open that door. We know that Christ is the one coming, amen, and he is going to set his foot upon this earth and establish this kingdom. So the Apostle Peter uh, heard and witnessed these teachings and wrote them. Um, the Apostle Peter helped establish the early church in the book of Acts. We can find that. We also know, again, historically, that Paul was martyred in Rome. I have sat in the Travertine prison. I have walked down into this very deep, dark prison uh, where there are no natural lights, and they have the lights, and it's a low ceiling. It's all rock, and uh, it's, it's a cave. And it's in Rome. And I have, um, in fact, when I was there, I was so emotional. I got so emotional because realizing that there was a, there was a, a cot, a, a stone, a bed that was hewn into the rock for prisoners, knowing that the Apostle Peter spent his last hours sitting in that place across from me, just a few feet, knowing they wouldn't let us go and actually be in the, the area. It was about 12, 15 feet away. But I was so moved. 
Um, we know that uh, the Apostle Peter was kept in that prison, that he wrote a letter partially from that prison, that he was taken and he was martyred from that prison. So we, we can recognize this travertine prison, that there's all these historical things. I've, I've worked hard. I've been to, to Greece. Uh, I've been to, um, to Turkey. I've been to Ephesus. I've been to all these places. I've been to Corinth. I've been very fortunate to go to these places where Paul walked. And we know historically that all of these places throughout the Pauline epistle, that the, the cities and places he went, we know that they have record of this man and him preaching about his relationship with Jesus and how he saw him for himself. That's important to me because it's, it's something outside of just someone saying, hey, Jesus lived. It's a factual, historical record. It is an archaeological fact that this man, Jesus, I tell people all the time, I don't need archaeological fact, I don't need historical fact, because Jesus is inside of me, lives in me, and he's a part of my experience on a daily basis. So Jesus uh, is something greater to me than just historical fact. He lives in me, and I have a relationship with him. Peter, the apostle, said in Matthew 16 and verse 16, he says, of Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God. He looks at Jesus in Matthew 16 and he declares, you are the Messiah. Remember that he was in a place, he was a Jew, and they believed the Messiah was coming. And so for him to declare this in this place in his life was paramount to uh, being uh, a, a great disrespect towards those that were in power, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They found him calling Jesus the Messiah. It was heresy in the Jewish faith. But yet he stood and he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We find in Acts 3 and 14 that Peter says this, you rejected this holy, he's preaching to those that would not hear him. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching um, after the day of Pentecost, rather. And he's preaching about what these people that he's trying to reach, the Jewish people. Um, and he said, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. He reminds the Jewish people, those Pharisees and Sadducees, that you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. This phrase, uh, I've, I've, I've spent time looking, and it literally says in the Greek here, you are the witness. We are the witness. They saw it, that witness there is something that means that they, they have experienced it and saw it for themselves. This fact that Jesus was murdered and he was killed on a place called Calvary. Peter witnessed that Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah. He witnessed that he was divine. He witnessed that he was the Son of God. He witnessed that he was the author of life. He witnessed that he was also later resurrected from the dead. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament in the, uh, the area of this witness from Peter is that 
Peter um, is um, after the, uh, the resurrection, after the crucifixion, Jesus comes and he asks specifically for Peter. Go tell Peter and the other disciples. He commanded. And uh, it's important you to recognize that no matter how much you don't believe, Jesus is still going to call your name and ask for you to come and be a witness. And that is so powerful to me. We find that there was another eyewitness. His name was Thomas the Apostle, the Doubting Thomas. We've all heard that story maybe as growing up or in Sunday school about Doubting Thomas and about how he did not believe because he could not verify for himself. There are so many things that are being abused this hour. I was recently scrolling through my Instagram and uh, oh, God help me. And uh, there is um, there's so many religious services, uh, worship services, people being uh, released and set free that are now being used as memes. They're being used as funnies, uh, something to be made fun of. And they set these worship services to different music. Uh, the one that I ran across was set to a heavy metal band and this you know, they were praying for somebody and the person was being delivered and it was a powerful thing, but they were, you know, making it out like it was some heavy metal demonic something or another. And the world is loving to doubt who Jesus is. They want you to show them. The reason it's so important that we are witnesses unto these people is because I can speak it and it can come through these airwaves and I can talk about it. But if no one experiences it for themselves, then we will never be able to see them changed by the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is more than someone that's in a book. Jesus is more than someone that was written about in history. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's your Savior. He is your one that came, wrapped himself in uh, the flesh of man and he uh, lived among us 33 and a half years. He experienced all of the pain and suffering and sorrow that you and I experience. And he also, he was then mistried. Uh, he was tried for a falsehood. He was lied and cheated. He was uh, all kinds of horrible, unfair things. One of my passages I quote to myself all the time is, and he opened not his mouth. Because there is a place in us as humans that we want to be proof. We want proof. There's an old saying from Missouri, right? The show me state. They don't believe it unless they see it. And it's true of so many. You see, if you want to come to God's house on Sunday morning, you're going to see Jesus. <laughs> you're going to see the miraculous. If you want to travel to the hillsides of Colombia or the, the barriados of, of Mexico. If you want to travel to downtown New York City or downtown Detroit, you're going to find Jesus. Oh, you're going to see him in different manners, in different places, in different understandings. But you need to understand that Jesus is God and he is the one that has come to save us from our sins. He is the Messiah. He is the soon coming King. He's coming again, just like he said he would. Historically, we know he came the first time. He's coming again. But Thomas doubted all of this. Thomas was like, I don't believe he was raised from the dead. I just don't believe it. How can anybody be raised from the dead? Nobody has ever been raised from the dead. Even though Thomas 
knew and understood what had happened with, um, with Lazarus and had witnessed all of those things with Lazarus. And yet Thomas <coughs> pardon me, was a doubting Thomas. And we find that the doubting Thomas, he was an eyewitness because he demanded an answer. I taught a series many years ago about the authenticity of the Bible. It's important that you personally establish that the Bible is God's Word. And not because I say so, or not because somebody gets up and says the Bible is the truth. No, you need to establish it as truth by your own mind. Because many of us are like Thomas. Matter of fact, I'm going to say all of the human race is like Thomas. We doubt things we cannot hold. If you were to tell me that uh, there's a box of Kleenex behind me and I needed it, well, I, I would need to verify that. I would need to go over here and uh, I would have to find the box of Kleenex to prove that there's Kleenex in the box because that's our human nature. Our human nature needs to see, touch, feel our five senses. We want them to be engaged in everything that we do. The Bible tells us that that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There are spiritual things that you will never be able to say. There it is. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and we hear the sound thereof, but we don't know where it's coming or where it's going. And so is the Holy Spirit. Living in us, that wind of the Spirit comes and it, it helps us, it guides us, it leads us, it, it brings healing and help and deliverance. But we look and see that doubting Thomas was struggling with that. I really feel to tell whoever it might be that needs to hear this that it's okay to be a doubting Thomas. But it's not okay to stay a doubting Thomas. You need to move your faith to a different level. We all have moments when we have prayed and did not receive what we thought we should receive and it creates this human natural feeling of doubt. But in that doubt, you realize that that just makes me human and Jesus came to save me in my humanness, in my frailty, in my flesh. Doubting Thomas didn't believe and yet he was a disciple. He was a part of the band with Jesus. He saw the miracles. I mentioned that he saw Lazarus rise from the dead. Think about this. He saw the miracles. He saw when Jesus healed the young lady who was in the middle of a funeral procession. And he said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. He saw all that. And yet, he was doubting. I sense in my heart that many of us have struggled like Thomas, even though we've seen others healed and saw others transformed, that when it doesn't happen for us, where we can touch it and feel it and discover it for ourselves, that we struggle with our faith. Doubting Thomas was a good man. Because he was doubting didn't make him a horrible, terrible, no good for nothing. No, it made him human. So we look and see that he saw these miracles. He knew that Jesus was dead. He was convinced that Jesus was dead. But he was so skeptical about the resurrection. And Jesus comes after he has been risen from the dead. And he transposes through a wall of a house. And he presents himself to Thomas. And he says what? Preach it. 
he says, reach in, touch my side, feel where the sword went in or where the spear went in and look at the scars in my hands. One of the things that I'm going to mention here that's not in my notes, but it's so powerful to me, is that even in his resurrected state, even in his glorified state, he bore, listen to me carefully, he bore the scars of the sin of the world. He bore the scars of sin. Now, why is that important to me? Because it tells me that even when... I am the worst sinner of sinners. And I look at my life and I still see the scars of sin. I see that my past life, before I gave my life to Christ, I did things and I caused it. Even as I live for Him now, I fall down and I struggle and I see the scars. I look and I see the things that are in my life. I can tell. I, I cut the end of my finger off when I was, I don't know, 20 or 25 years old. I, I still, I, I cut it straight off, took it back to the hospital, and they sewed it back on, like, go get them, tiger, you know, like, I, I'm not talking about a flap, I'm talking about all the way off, and I still have the scar of those sutures all the way across my finger, and every once in a while, like tonight, I'll look down, and I'll remember that moment, and so many of us, we don't, I uh, feel the Holy Spirit here, we don't allow ourselves to move on from our scars and we think that our scars prevent us from serving the king we think our scars prevent us from sharing our story our story is so gross that we wouldn't want anybody to hear it and yet christ said i want to share my scars with you thomas to prove that i'm resurrected that sin has no hold on me that these scars are not my ultimate destiny. That these scars do not define who I am. I am now alive and risen and your Savior, soon to be translated to heavenly places. Those scars, I want you to think about the God that you serve. I believe with all my heart that when we get to heaven, we're still going to see those scars. We're going to know Him as He comes and presents himself and we are at the throne and we bow before him and worship him because it's going to be a reminder that you're here not because of your perfection you're here because of my mercy and my grace because you were willing to repent and trust me with your soul so what do we look we find that jesus comes to thomas and he he comes to him. we'll find this in in, in john 20 let's read it together the Bible says one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. He, he, had, he was so doubting that he, did not, he was not with the others when they were in the upper room. Somewhere, somehow, he had, he had snuck off into a place of, of mourning, a place of doubt, a place of... By the way, when you get by yourself you're always going to be open to the enemy's attacks, especially in the city, in, in the place of doubt. So they told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas responds, but he replied, I won't believe this unless, I won't believe it, unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And isn't it interesting that what Jesus showed him is what exactly Thomas asked for? 
Before he saw him, he said, I won't believe it unless I see. He didn't say the scars on his forehead from the, the, the crown of thorns. He didn't see his feet. He didn't say that. He said, I want to see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers in it and place my hand in the wound in his side. Thomas was very specific about, I saw this, I know. It was a marker in my mind. If this is really Jesus, he's going to have these two wounds. The Bible says, <clears throat> eight days later. Everybody say eight days later. Eight days later. I want you to think about those are watching online. It took eight days. Sometimes we have to take a journey in order to free ourselves from doubt. Sometimes Jesus has to leave us. He could have came to him right then and there. He was available, but he didn't come. Eight days later, the disciples were gathered together, and this time, Thomas was with them. You'll always have great revelation when you're in the company of like faith, because their faith will booster your faith. And you will be able to have this great enlightenment. And the doors were locked. And suddenly, as before, Jesus, as before Jesus was standing among them, he transposed through that building, through that wall, and he was just there. Peace be with you, he said. And then he turned to Thomas. He had seen the others. He had seen the others. But now he was speaking because he had heard Thomas. I want to see the nail print in his hands and the scar in his side. I want to put my hand in it. And he looked at Thomas and says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And then he says these words that echo through time like a bowling ball headed for a strike. Don't be faithless any longer believe. Don't be faithless any longer. Uh, I have experienced some moments that I could be honest and transparent with you and say that there were moments in my life that I felt, I felt, hear me today, faithless. I felt, my feelings felt faithless. And I had to rely not on my feelings, but my faith in God to overcome my feelings. Did you hear what I just said? Because my feelings lie to me. My feelings get caught up in the emotion of my humanness, of my condition, of my pain, of my suffering. I, I just a couple summers ago, um, actually last summer, uh, not this summer, but last summer, my wife being rushed to the hospital and then telling me she should be having massive heart attack and all those, you know, those blood clots in her lungs and everything. And I got, I, there was a moment, I was by myself, we were in Grand Rapids, we were at an unfamiliar hospital. There was nobody there except me and my wife. My kids couldn't be, I mean, they, they didn't know what was going on at the moment. And I had no church, I had nobody, I, had, I felt so alone in this hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I walked outside to an area of prayer, bench, a chapel area, and I sat and I, and I talked to God so plainly about, hey, are you really there? Are you really, are you really there? Why, you know, and all these questions, because I'm human. 
And my thing I love the most is on this earth is hurting. And the Lord really helped me that day. He came to me and he helped me. And I have learned even more through that. That wasn't the first time. I've had probably three of those times, four of those times in my entire life where I felt where I had nothing in my tank of faith. Where I just felt like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk. I, I can't pray. You ever been someplace you can't pray anymore? I've been there. You've been there. Where you don't know how, but you got to recognize that there was somebody else praying for me. <laughs> that there was the prayers that I had prayed before. The prayers that my grandmother was carrying. My prayers of my mother. The prayers of my dad. The prayers of the saints. The prayers of my friends. Although they weren't aware in the moment, their prayers have always carried me. Because prayer doesn't die with its breath. It, it continues on before the throne of God. So I found myself in this place. And this passage spoke to me so loudly. And I, of course, asked the Lord to please forgive my... And he... I, I did. I said, I forgive. I feel faithless. I feel like I, I'm, not, I'm not believing like I should. And the Lord said, don't repent for something you did not do. And I was like confused with that because I had done it, I felt, you know. But it was what God understood that he was trying to teach me is that in my moment of lapse, he never changed. He knew I was human. He planned for my lapse. He planned for my, and that's why grace carries us and mercy rescues us. Not because we deserve it, because God knows the future from the past and the past from the future. He knew there would be a moment in my life where I would sit on a bench and feel like I was failing and my feelings overwhelming me. But in that moment, God reminded me that he's been there all the time. And it wasn't that I was faithless. I was lacking vision of spiritual things. I was struggling because of the thing in front of me was so great, I could not see beyond it. We find in the Old Testament that the prophet prayed for his apprentice and said, Lord, open his eyes. The city was surrounded. The angels were there the whole time. But there was an understanding of spiritual things that he could not have because his five senses were so overwhelmed by war and hunger and disaster and fire and arrows and spears and swords. And the prophet said, no, no, stand still because what you don't see is what you need to see. And in these moments of our lives, when we feel like doubting promises, we need that relationship with Jesus that is so deep that we trust when we don't understand. Did you hear what I just said? That we trust when we don't understand. I promise you from that day forward, when the prophet said to that young man, there's angels, he never, ever, ever, ever doubted it again. We're not surrounded. There's a host that is with us. I promise you, if that prophet ever spoke that to that young apprentice ever in that lifetime where they were together again, that he would say, oh, no, I don't believe. No, because he had experienced something. And that's why I want you to fall in love with Jesus for yourself. I don't want you just to serve him historically, archaeologically. I don't want you to serve him from a place of knowledge. I want you to serve him from a place of faith. Faith is what will carry us in our dark moments. This is what Thomas exclaimed. He said, my Lord and my God. Now, 
you understand what he meant there. That my Lord is you're you're my what? You're my leader. You're my what? What? Messiah. You're my Messiah. You're not just Jesus. You're you are more than Jesus to me because I have had revelation. Man, I, the, I, the Holy Ghost is in this room, man. And I want you to understand there's going to be times in your life and the response is not run from him. The, the response is my Lord and my God. The response is not shame because you feel like you were faithless. That's what the enemy wants you to feel. Not, I'm not worthy. No, but rather, he makes me worthy. My Lord, my Savior, my Messiah, and my God. Someone say amen. Amen. So, who is Jesus? Eyewitnesses. Thomas said he is risen from the dead. Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy of worship. Thomas says Jesus has authority over him. He submits himself, my Lord and my God. He says, you are my leader. I am submitting to you whatever you say. Therefore, I will go and do. I will be what you called me to be. Us recognizing that and submitting to that is a key to our faith in Jesus Christ. Another eyewitness that we want to talk about tonight that is so powerful is the Apostle Paul. Everybody say amen. amen. Our, I, I think that the Apostle Paul gives us another view. He wasn't with Jesus during the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He wasn't with Jesus and the disciples when he was crucified. Paul was a bit of an outsider that, that received this divine intervention from the angels and from God himself. Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the pricks? God had to strike him blind and send him to a street called Straight to be able to rescue him from himself. He was a persecutor of the Christians. He was a doubting Thomas on steroids. <laughs> he couldn't stand them. He was a Judaizer, right? He was a zealot for the temple. And he was murdering people for it. He thought he was right. But bless God, I've got Jehovah on my side. And he found out that Jehovah had nothing to do with what he was doing. Because Jehovah is Jesus. And Jesus said, Paul, Paul. Right? So Paul persecuted the church. He was a zealot. But he encountered Jesus in this encounter that will never, uh, that he will never be the same from. We find in Acts 22, this is what is recorded. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking their own language, the silence was even greater. He says, then Paul said, I am a Jew. He identifies himself, born in Tarsus, the city of Sylvia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous. That word zealous means very fervent, very passionate, right? To honor God in everything that I did. Everybody say Paul's heart was right, right? Paul's heart was in the right place. He thought he was doing the right thing. But when we look deeper into this, we realize he was working from emotion and feelings and not from faith and trust in God. 
He thought that he could be a zealot and protect God from people. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need us to protect him. He doesn't need us to defend him. He's a pretty good defender. He's been doing it for since the beginning of time. But Paul thought somehow he could help God do his job. And he honored God in everything he did. He, he really thought he was doing the right thing. Just like all of you today, he's speaking to them. I persecuted the followers of the way. He's talking about Jesus. Hounding some to death. Not just, not just Stephen, by the way. There were many others that Paul had put to death. Arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus authorizing me to bring the Christians from, from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. And then he says in verse 6, he says, As I was on the road, <laughs> oh, as I was on the road, as I was in my journey, as I was going about my business, Approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light shone from heaven suddenly, shone down around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Who is? Who, what do you mean am I persecuting? What, what, who are you that's speaking to me? And the voice replied, I am what? Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus, where you will be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light, he tells the people, and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there, and he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. I want you, I want you to stop and pause here for a second. This is the intricacy of God's word that I absolutely love and get so excited about. God sent a Jew, listen to me, God sent a Jew who he had been blinded by this great light who Jesus had spoke to in an audible voice and he didn't send him, hear me, to a Christian. He sent him to another Jew that was godly because that Jew had greater understanding than Paul. Paul was all emotion and zealous passion Wanted to prove something to... He had letters from the high priest. It was a pride issue. It was something that he was proud about. I'm a Jew. I'm a Roman. And I've got letters. I can go take you and throw you in jail. I can take you and kill you if I want. He thought he was something. It's interesting because he sent him to this godly man. Deeply devoted to the law. And well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul. Listen, he called him brother. They were both Jews. They were both well regarded in the Jewish circles. But somehow, <laughs> Ananias had got beyond the law. Beyond this 
thing that said I had to follow a list of rules. And God had got a hold of Ananias' heart. Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very moment, I could see him. He spoke as he spoke for Jesus. So, so powerful to me. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one, the Messiah. And hear him speak, for you are to be his witness, telling everyone that you have seen and heard that are, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. One of the things that I think is so important in this passage is that Paul was a good man, a zealot. He was trying to do his best, but he had to go and follow the word of God. He had to obey the commands of the word of God. No matter how good we are, we still have to obey God's commands. And he said, be baptized. Everybody say, be baptized. Be baptized. Be baptized. Why? Because baptism is the necessary entrance to the kingdom of God. It's important. It's not just a fashion show. It's not just, uh, look at everybody, I'm declaring I'm a Christian. No, you're obeying God's word. You are being buried as Christ was buried and risen to new life. Paul would later write about it in Romans chapter 5. We would learn in chapter 6. It was in those moments that we find Paul having revelation. Hear him. For, and hear him speak, for you are to be his witness. Go tell him, get up, be baptized. Have your sins washed away by what? Calling on the name of the Lord. So we know that Paul was an eyewitness. Paul went on to establish the, the church in the known world, in the Roman Empire. We know that Paul was martyred by Nero in Rome in 67 AD. And I've already mentioned that prison. That prison was also housed Paul, believe it or not. Peter and Paul both spent their last moments in that very prison, the Travertine prison in Rome. They both, I found it amazing. There are, if you ever get to go to Rome, and I pray that you do, uh, in that prison, there's a lot of glitzy things, the Roman Colosseum, and there's all kinds, Lean Tower, Pisa, and all these touristy spaces, right? Um, I spent my time, I saw them, not, you know, I saw them as, you know, but I wanted, I wanted to see the part of Rome where Paul walked and Peter walked. I wanted to sit, I spent time in the catacombs of Rome where Christians were martyred and buried. And I spent my time in places that meant, and I was, I'm not lying, my wife was like, you know, this, you're just so emotional about this. And it was, I was so emotional because for me as a servant of God, as a preacher, as a man of God, to think that I could be within 10 feet of where Paul laid or Peter laid in their last hours, giving their life as willing sacrifice for the kingdom of God, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It makes me realize how much I am never going to fulfill all that they did. And neither should I try because I'm not them and God didn't ask me to do that. But I stand in awe of those things. So Paul was martyred by Nero, one of the most horrific rulers of Rome in 67 AD. Gave his life for the church he once uh, persecuted. I mean... It's an amazing story. Listen, in, this is in Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes in verse 15, 
Christ is the visible. Hear me, I want you to, I want you to underline this and I want you to write, read this at home. This is your homework. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to being done here. Um, Christ, this is so important, this writing. After he experienced Jesus and all that he had done, he writes these, he writes these words. Christ is the visible. Everybody say visible. Visible. If you're online, type visible. Visible. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Should think about that for a second. We're going to come back to this in the weeks to come. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Just going to take my time here for a second. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, who's him? Jesus. Through him, Christ, Jesus, through him, God created everything in heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. I'm going to say unseen world. Unseen world. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. We'll come back to that. I just want you to pray and think about that passage there and, and the, we want to know who Jesus is well it's very clearly stated here in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God he is the visible the only God you and I will ever see is Jesus we find in revelations we get to heaven and who's on the throne Jesus is on the throne so we'll talk more and more about this this who is Jesus we find in, in the end of verse 16, everything was created through him and for him. You're talking about Jesus. Was created through Jesus and for Jesus. He existed before anything else. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Right? He holds all creation together. Christ is also... Not only is he the foundation before and all things made for him, but he also is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, if I say beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Jesus is first in everything. Everything. Not some things, not a few things, not select things. In everything. Jesus is first in everything. So, who is Jesus? We know that Paul proclaimed him as Jesus, visible image of God, existed before creation, agent of creation, eternal head of the church, leads the resurrection. We also know there was this testimony from an eyewitness of Jesus of the Samaritan woman. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming and the one who is called Christ, when he comes, will he expand, explain everything to us? And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. 
How many of you can't wait to get to heaven? You got some things you'd like to ask Jesus? So come on now. I have a, I have a list. But I have a funny feeling that that list is going to melt away when we're in his presence because we're not going to really care about the things we wondered about on this planet, this planet Earth. Although I would like to know if there's aliens. So, um, so Jesus is the Savior of the Gentiles and the Savior of the Jews. He says, I am your Savior. I am. You've been prophesied a Messiah. You've been seeking the Messiah. You've been talking about a Messiah. You've been telling your children about a Messiah. You've been telling your aunts and uncles and generations and upon generations about there's a Messiah coming. I have come. I <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> I am the Messiah that you seek. I fulfill every prophecy of the Old Testament. I fulfill every doctrine. I fulfill every single... I was there in the beginning. I was... It was through me that all was created. It was through me that all creation exists and is held together. It was through me. So he says, I am the Messiah. Powerful words. Here, the testimony of Peter, right? Says he's the living God. Matthew 16, I read it earlier. And then he asked him, who do you say that I am? You know, he's been, Peter's been with Jesus for quite some time. Finally, you know, Jesus is like, well, you know, Peter, who do you think I am? If you go to John 14, you're going to see this, this, this interchange between the disciples and Jesus about I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hear me today. Jesus is the what? Visible of the invisible God. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, he says, you've seen my Father also. So we're going to delve greater into that. Who is Jesus? He is God. But we're going to put some scripture together for you to be able to not just hear this, not just say, wow, that's really good, but to know it for yourself and have revelation of who Jesus is. The Bible says, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven, my father in heaven has revealed this to you. I'm, old, I'm just going to keep going. You did not learn this from any human being. We find that the apostle says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given what? All authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Everybody say baptizing them. We saw that Paul, as soon as he was healed of his blindness, the first thing that Paul was told to do was not to straighten up, not to quit murdering people, although those were a pretty good start. He was told to go be baptized and wash away his sins. And here we find that Jesus tells us, go make disciples of me. How? By baptizing them in the name. Notice that that name, that word name is in this particular context and sentence structure, in the English language as well as in the Greek, that it is a singular name. There's not multiple names that are suggested here. It's a singular name. The name. It doesn't say names. It says name. And if you study this out, you'll see that it intends to be a singular name. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we would assume sometimes, because of our humanists, that the Father's a name, the Son's a name, and the Holy Spirit's a name, right? We believe that all three are one, that they are what? Jesus, and he is the visible of the invisible God. You follow me? So, in this moment, we, we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus, why? Because the name of the Father is Jesus, the name of the Son is Jesus, the name of the Holy Spirit. The only way we will interact with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is through, who? Jesus. Because he is the what? Visible for the invisible God. And we will go deeper into this and... I want to dispel uh, confusion in these spaces of Christendom where people struggle with this concept, or not concept, this fact, this knowledge, uh, how that Jesus, who he is and what he is to us. It doesn't mean you deny the Father. It doesn't mean we deny the, the, the uh, manifestation of the Son, the manifestation of the Father, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. You hear me all the time pray, Father, come. Why? Because I'm praying to the invisible. You follow me? So it's, it's, we don't deny it. No, no. We just know when we're interacting, who we're going to see when we get to heaven. There's one, the Bible says in Revelation 7, that will sit upon the throne and his name is above every name. His name is Jesus. It could be moments where the enemy can take and cause confusion in these, these situations. We do not, nor does the Bible believe or, or, or espouse, or is it set in fact, that th there is a tritheist view. The tritheist view. You know what the word tritheist means? It means truly three. So it means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That's tritheism. And we don't espouse that because the scripture doesn't espouse that. We believe that it's... There is no in fact, I don't just believe, I know from the Word of God that that word, tritheism, helps us to understand that it is individual gods that they're speaking about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Nowhere in the scriptures are, do we find those denotions. It's, right? It's the Father, the Son of God, and the Holy Ghost. So we don't espouse because the scripture doesn't espouse in that particular manner. Jesus is not the junior part or a part of some sort of uh, uh, three um, in, in this moment of understanding. And I want to go deep into this in the next couple of weeks because I want, there, I want you to be able to walk out of here by the end of December and say, I have a firm grip on what I know to be truth. Why is this so important? Because this is the absolute. This is like Genesis. If God didn't create the earth then nothing else matters in the scriptures. Did you hear what I just said? If God didn't set it in motion, and he's not the author and finisher of all things, including our faith, then we must, what? <laughs> We're going to walk away and say, well, I, nothing else in the scriptures matters, because if Genesis isn't true, then nothing else could be true, because it's the foundational, right? So, so it is true with this. The revelation, I'm going to say revelation. The revelation of who God is. And who he wants you to be a part of his life, his, his, his being his understanding of who he is. So Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of He's all these things. But we know him in, 
in our life. We know him as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we uh, invoke the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Father would come. We declare the Son has given, been given authority, right? So, uh, but we do not, nor does the Bible teach, in tritheism or absoluteness of three. So, um, some will say, uh, you know, Pastor, does that, you know, what, what does that mean exactly when it comes to, we hear the word Trinity or we hear the word oneness? We hear, well, I'm going to talk to you about that, right? Uh, we find neither one of those words in the scripture as the notions for what we should be, right? We do know that there's one God and his name is Jesus. And we know him as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in those understandings, we've got to get clarity about the scripture and what it teaches us. So that we don't live by, listen to me carefully, traditions. That we don't live by things that have been just given to us and passed down. But we live by the things that have been revealed to us and we have studied and sought out for ourselves. I'm in this discussion with my guys that I'm mentoring in, in, a, uh, in a much, uh, much, much deeper way. We're, we're talking about Greek and Hebrew and we're, we're studying wine because this is the essence. The doctrine of Christ is the essence of our new Christian faith, of our new covenant in Christ. So we are not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by the Jewish. We're not Judaizers. Someone a few weeks ago asked me about, could they come blow? I've had this question asked me a lot in my pastorate. You know, can I bring my, so I have a safar at home. It's a trumpet. It's a blow. It's a horn. Can I bring it to church and blow it? And I said, no. And they were like, oh, well, I've always blown it at other churches I've attended. I said, that's great. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I've been delivered from the law. <laughs> Why do I want to go back to something God came, died, and rose again for me to be delivered from? So I celebrate for the Jewish people all those wonderful things under the law, but I have been delivered from them. I no longer have to be, by the way, blow us far. You also need to bring a bull and, a, and offer his blood sacrifice. Uh, you know, we've been delivered from all. Jesus was our final sacrifice, right? So I'm not saying people that do it are bad people or sinners or whatever. No, it's just, I know I've been delivered. I don't celebrate Jewish holidays. Why? Because I've been delivered. <laughs> I celebrate the Pentecost, which is the, the final feast of, of, of what I know is a part of my new covenant, right? I, I, I celebrate the fact that there was a death, burial, and resurrection. That's all I'm called to celebrate, right? So I'm not opposed or think people are bad for doing it. That's their business between them and their God. I, I'm, you know, whatever. I'm not saying, well, oh, you do that. Oh, you're bad. No. I just know the revelation that God has put through the word of God that I am delivered from the law. I don't have to separate my wool and my cotton anymore. I, I don't have to go through all the things. I don't have to take a, a, a sacrifice every Sunday. I don't have to carry a turtle dove to the Sunday morning service and we have a bloody altar up here. I don't have to do that because Christ came and did that for us. Right? So why would I go backwards in my salvation? And by the way, Paul states very clearly that you cannot be saved by the law. So why are we celebrating it? We are only saved by the name of the blood of Christ.
Hey, sis, you have a question? I'd love to love to hear. It. I am. <laughs> you could ask uh, many people here. There are uh, there. Are, in fact, I just encountered an individual a couple uh, well a week or so ago. They're good people. I love them. Right? They have ties to this church through family. That they are they they're Christian Jews is what they call themselves. They still celebrate very 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 much so every they they wear a yarmulke. They I mean they do all all the Jewish things. Well, they don't do the sacrificing, but that's what, yeah, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm glad you asked. No, I don't, there may be, <laughs> well, I will tell you this, that in Jerusalem, there's still sacrifice going on. I will tell you that, uh, that there is still blood sacrifice being offered uh, on altars. I, I will tell you that. Um, I don't think that these people, in fact, I know these people don't do that, right? But that's my point to them. If you're going to keep part of the law and not the whole law, why are you trying to keep it at all? And that was my, my running conversation with them, is that you don't do all these sacrifices, but yet you want to keep all these other laws and celebrate all these festivals and these days, and, and you want, you know, uh, you know, and why? You know, you can't keep part of the law. The Bible says no man has kept the law. <laughs> no man. Jesus fulfilled the law, completed it. It's over. It's done. Paul writes over a hundred times about this very subject uh, in some way or form. We don't need a schoolmaster anymore. <laughs> Christ came <laughs> and fulfilled that law. So he didn't do away. Well, well, the scripture says he didn't do it. No, he didn't do away with it. We still have the Old Testament. I read from it and learn from it. Paul writes and says very clearly that that Old Testament is for me to review and learn. He said, Paul, I wouldn't know what covetousness is unless the law showed me. I wouldn't know what murder is, that uh, uh, lust is rather, if the, if the law did not show me. Because the law, right, was of works. So we don't, you know, people say, I've been accused, oh, you rip out the Old Testament. No, Lord have mercy. Just the opposite. We embrace it even more, but we understand its position in our life. Um, and we don't make it as a part of our covenant and new covenant in Christ. Our new covenant in Christ is what we learn through the New Testament and through the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary. Does that make sense? So yeah, there are people though that do celebrate. Um, I, I do know in Israel there are still sacrifices, uh, um, and so it's reported. Um, I wasn't there, but I've heard it, it happening. And I know they're preparing for uh, their red heifers are being bred, um, cows, red heifers are being bred as we speak for um, this, trying to make a, a perfect uh, creature in order to sacrifice it um, when the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem. And you know, all, those, all those conversations and plans. Um, so Brother Carl could fill you in on a lot of that because he's so knowledgeable in that area. Um, but my point being is that those that try to keep, I, I'm not, uh, I get frustrated by them because I feel like they cause confusion in Christians. They cause confusion, in, especially in, in young Christians who have not had the chance. They want to, they have the desire, but they haven't had the process of saying, I'm going to study this for myself and learn, right? And sometimes they get sucked into those conversations, especially online. You can go online, please don't. Um, <laughs> And you can find a lot of Jews for G, or uh, 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 
Jesus, Jews for Jesus is a different thing. Um, but you can find a lot of Christians that still celebrate Jewish tradition. A lot. There's a guy on TV. Um, I see on Sunday mornings. I'm waiting my wife to get finished dressed. I'll watch the religious channels on Sunday morning. And there's a guy on there that he's dressed in, in uh, you know, yarmulke and his curls and all that, and, and he's talking about Jesus and the Christian and how they inter, interface and and it's inter, interesting uh, conversation. But there's something for there's something out there for everything. It seems like, but um, yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised at some of the craziness um, that happens. But they, they they disrespect, in my opinion, they crucify him again, right? They make, Paul wrote this, he says, you try to keep the law, I'm paraphrasing, and you make the death of Christ of no avail. You make his crucifixion worthless. And we sometimes do that. Um, because we do not accept the fact that it was for us and that it was grace was born, mercy was given, and we live by that mercy and grace. We live to the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. Amen? Oh, summary. Jesus is a true historical figure, right? He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Son of God, Lord God Himself, resurrected from the dead, eternal being, agent of creation, head of the church, supreme authority in heaven and earth. Last slide. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. There are so many things we have no idea what Jesus did, but He did it because He was God. And over all things, and all things were under his feet. John twenty one. Jesus also did many other things, as if they were if they were written down. I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So we're going to end that for tonight, and we're going to begin. Uh, I'll just leave it there. We're going to begin uh, and beginning next month. Uh, Pastor Carl will be uh, delivering the word to us next week. I'm looking forward. Brother Carl, give us a small preview. What are you going to be talking about next week? Uh, eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Hey, what a tagline right there off of what we're doing tonight. Um, eternal judgment as pertains to the end times, right? Yeah. Oh, as pertaining to... The seven principles of the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ. That's right. So God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Share or like this in Jesus' name.